These are some of my favorite Sundays here at our church. We get to see people come and be baptized. I think we have 14 total in all of our services. And if you're visiting here with us today, we're so glad you're here. And especially on a day like this, we get to celebrate these baptisms. I know for many of you, families and parents of these young people who are baptized, it's a great day for your families. Let's commit them to prayer before we begin our service this morning. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. We've sung this morning about the blood of Jesus that washes away our sins. We thank you for Christ and for what he's done for us, for his mercy. And Father, I thank you for these that you've called to yourself. You've drawn them to faith in the Lord Jesus. We thank you for that uh, work that you've done in their lives. We thank you for their, their stand today. We pray that they would always look back on this day as a memorial when they took their stand for Jesus Christ and were publicly identified with him. We pray, Father, that as you command us in, in your word, that they would go forth, each one of them now, to live in newness of life in our Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for the Bible, for our opportunity to open it together now. And we pray that your spirit would be our teacher this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you'll take your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, that's our text this morning. Um, I've mentioned this before. Our next book study will be August 8th. We'll start the book of Nehemiah. We're just kind of doing some uh, one-time messages till then. And our text this morning, Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, uh, probably a very familiar passage uh, to most of us. I want to bring a message I've titled, Assembly Required. Let me read uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. I uh, pray that you maybe have memorized these verses. They're great verses to memorize. Uh, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but encouraging one another and doing it all the more as the day uh, draws near. Well, so reads God's inspired and errant word. One uh, Sunday morning, a mother went in to wake up her son for church, and when she knocked on his door, he said, I'm not going. And she said, well, why not? He said, I'll give you two good reasons. One, they don't like me, and two, I don't like them. And his mother said, well, I'll give you two reasons, good reasons why you are going to go to church this morning. One, you're 47 years old, <laughs> and two, you're the pastor. <laughs> well, it seems like uh, scenes like that, but not exactly like that, are uh, becoming more and more common uh, in churches in America today, more and more people, and you all are aware of this and, and the, the, the friends that you have, more and more people seem to be AWOL uh, on Sunday mornings. Uh, Sunday's kind of become a day for many people for sleeping in and for going out uh, rather than uh, for turning up for worship. And the, the statistics bear out uh, the decline in church attendance in America today. And a lot of people give a lot of reasons for that, but I ran across an article a while back by Tom Rainier. And he put his finger on what he thinks is the number one reason church attendance is declining. Listen to what he says. The majority of churches in our country are not growing. Many have suggested our, our nation is shifting away from its Christian roots, and thus churches are declining as a smaller proportion of our country are believers in Christ. I will certainly uh, not argue with that premise, and I doubt that any of us would uh, as well. That's certainly happening in our culture. But he said... Certainly, attendance declines are related to massive cultural shifts in our nation, but I would also suggest another reason for decline has a, that has a greater impact than any others. Simply stated, the number one reason for decline in church attendance is members attend with less frequency than they did just a few years ago. No members left the church. Everyone is still relatively active, but attendance declined more than 12% because half the members slightly changed their pattern. So what he's saying is 
a lot of churches are declining in attendance, not because people don't go there anymore, they're not active, they're just there less frequently. I uh, had lunch with Jack Graham, as the pastor of Prestonwood Baptist, and my friend Philip DeCourcy and I were in Dallas, and we met with uh, Dr. Graham and his main assistant, had lunch. It was a really good time. That's where Cheryl and I went to church when we were down in Dallas, when I was attending Dallas Seminary. And uh, Dr. Graham, at one point in our conversation, said, you know, years ago when I started in ministry, which is about 50 years ago, he said that the committed people in the church were there three times a week. He said, now the real committed people in the church are at church three times a month. And so just this difference. Now, a lot of it is, you know, churches don't have Sunday night or a lot of churches don't have Wednesday nights. People used to be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But now it's, it's three times a month that the most committed people are there. Now, again, I always like to add, just because people were there three times a week and now people are there three times a month doesn't mean people were more godly back then. A lot of people just go to church out of this routine or kind of a perfunctory idea or some sense of duty. But, but I think we would all say probably today, if we're aware of, of what's happening in Christianity, is that that kind of trend is troubling. Because if it keeps going over time, churches are going to go into steep decline. And all of this is even more startling with the younger generation. If you read statistics that are out there, they always range between 70 to 80% of young evangelicals have quit going to church by the time they're 23 years of age. And the majority of them never return. Now, that's a startling statistic. And it's tragic because the Bible calls on us to be with God's people regularly. Um, assembly is required in the New Testament. Now, let me say this. Most of the people here at Faith Bible Church, I believe, do a great job of being here regularly. Now, I'm not watching all the time, but people do sit in the same spot. So I kind of know if you're here or not sometimes by that. If you move around, you can fool me. But if you sit in the same spot, I can kind of figure that out. I mean, it's a great encouragement to me and to our staff and elders, uh, the attendance of our people here. And one of the things that encourages me is the number of young families that are here. Look, we, we want people of all ages to be here. We want to be a, a cross-generational church. But seeing young families here is especially encouraging to me when you hear about the young evangelicals that are leaving the church. Because those of you that are here regularly, you are bucking the trend in our culture. And let me just say this, 50 years from now, you'll be glad you did. And your children will be glad you did as well. And your grandchildren will be glad you did. Uh, with this growing trend around us, though, that we see, I want to challenge us all this morning and just give a reminder of our need to be faithful and steadfast in this key discipline of the Christian life. And it is a discipline, like reading the Bible and prayer and fellowshipping with God's people. Being at church regularly is a key discipline in the Christian life. And being in church regularly now in America is countercultural. We're going to have to swim upstream in our culture. Now, there's no better verse that I know of to help us in this than Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And what I want to do this morning, look at two very simple points, the requirement to assemble and then the reasons uh, that we should be assembling together. The requirement is simple. Look at verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together or let us not neglect meeting together is what is being stated here. That's the basic requirement or command. Now, we're kind of parachuting down here near the end of the book of Hebrews, so I want to place this text in its context very briefly. Um, in the book of Hebrews, what you have there is a situation where the author was writing to Jewish professing Christians in the city of Rome back in the early 60s A.D. Uh, Rome had about 50,000 Jews at that time, and many of them had come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. 
But what had happened is because of persecution and harassment and difficulty, many of these people were being tempted to go back to Judaism. And so the whole book of Hebrews, the, the first 10 chapters, basically are setting forth the supremacy of Christ. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Aaron and his high priesthood. He ministers in a better sanctuary. He's a minister of a better covenant. He's a better sacrifice. The whole point when he gets finished is, why in the world as a Jew would you ever think about going back to Judaism and leaving Christianity? Because you have uh, the substance. Why would you go back to the shadow? And so that's the point that he's giving here. And so when we come, though, to verse 19, we're coming now to the practical section of the book. And he starts out in verse 21 or verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. But the problem is some of these believers were flirting with the idea of going back. And so he says, not forsaking the assembling together. Notice he says, as the habit of some is. So some of the people were in the habit now of not gathering regularly uh, with God's people. And we see that today as well. Many people who profess to be Christians out of the habit of regularly uh, meeting with uh, the people of God. By the way, one thing I'll just show you here for those of you interested in these kinds of things. In verse 22, you have the word faith. Um, in verse 23, you have the word hope. In verse 24, you have the word love. Faith, hope, and love. Those three words then kind of form the focus of the rest of the book. Chapter 11 of Hebrews will be about faith. Chapter 12 will be about hope. Chapter 13 will be about love. So he's kind of giving us the, the, the outline, if you will, for the rest of the book. But, it, but it's in this section here that we have this warning here about not forsaking or assembling together. Now, there's all kinds of ways to express the need that we have to be with God's people and connect with one another. It's called togetherness, uh, connection, uh, networking, uh, connectivity, fellowship. People call it today, you know, doing life together. You can call it by a lot of names, but by whatever name you call it, we all need it. We need one another. And that's one of our core values here at Faith Bible Church. Our, our four core values are we want people to believe the gospel. We want them to grow in Christ, connect with others, and we want them to serve the church and the world. So connection is a part of what we want here in this church because we see it central um, in the Word of God. Well, we need your presence and we need your participation here, and you need to be here with us. The problem is more and more professing Christians, though, today seem to believe assembly is not required. I ran across this, uh, one church came up with this idea. They announced a special Sunday called No Excuse Sunday. So to eliminate every excuse someone could come up with, they had this announcement in the, the bulletin for that coming Sunday to give incentives. It says, cots will be placed in the foyer for those who say Sunday's my only day to sleep. We'll have steel helmets for those who say the roof will cave in if I ever come to church. Blankets will be furnished for those who think the church is too cold. Fans for those who think the church is too hot. Have hearing aids for those who think the music's uh, too soft and cotton for those who think it's too loud. Scorecards will be available for those who wish to list the hypocrites present. You know, people always say, I don't go to church because of all the hypocrites. Well, you can list them all out there. Some relatives will be in attendance for those who like to go visiting on Sunday. There'll be TV dinners for those who can't go to church and cook dinner also. One section will be devoted to trees and grass for those who like to see God in nature. 
Finally, the sanctuary will be decorated with both Christian po Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who've never seen the church without them. <laughs> now, ouch, that last one hits kind of close to home for some contemporary church grower goers, right? Here's a quote I ran across by H.B. Charles. Uh, let these words sink in your mind. This is powerful. If you can miss church without being missed at church, something is missing. If you can miss church without missing church, something is missing. That's good, isn't it? If you can miss church without being missed at church, something is missing. If you can miss church without missing church, something is missing. Assembly is required according to Scripture. Now, let me give some reasons why God wants us to gather together, some reasons in Scripture why assembly is required. The first one is uh, just the pattern, the pattern that we see in the early church. Obviously, here in this verse, it was the pattern for believers to get together regularly because he's saying, some of you are forsaking that. Uh, the simplest reason we need to stay connected with other believers is that was the pattern in the early church. The emphasis on connection is present from the very first church that was founded in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. In fact, back in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, it says in uh, verse 41, this is a really good verse for today, says, so then those who'd received his word were baptized. That's what we saw here this morning. We've witnessed that. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The first point mentioned here in this snapshot of the early church gathered together is the apostles' teaching. <clears throat> That's foundational to everything else. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were gathering together to hear uh, the Word of God. And if, if, if we don't gather together to hear the Word of God, and that's not the focus here, then really the church is nothing more than a social gathering. It's, it's the truth of the Word of God and the gospel that ties us together. And the faithful preaching of the Bible is kind of the heart muscle, if you will, that pumps life into our lives, but also into everything we do as a church. We rally around a common gospel that's centered in a common Savior. That's got to be uh, the focus. But these verses in Acts 2 also repeatedly focus on the gathering together of God's people. We're not just believers, we're belongers. Notice they were continually devoting themselves to fellowship. That means you have to be together. A breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And those who believed had all things together in common, and, and so on. You and I need to, to be part of the corporate church setting to sing uh, to praise God together, uh, to pray, to learn, to celebrate the Lord's Supper, again, to celebrate baptisms as we've done here this morning. There's something about the power of presence, of just being with God's people every week that's a strong encouragement that God knows we need. And for me, and I hope this is true for you, but seeing young families with little kids here worshiping the Lord and hearing the singing and watching people give and praying together for those who are struggling in our body with, with physical ailments. And seeing people here who are getting advanced in their years, and it's difficult for them to be here. And yet they, they come, and they maybe it's going to struggle to be here, but they come and they show up here. All of that to me is, is part of growing deeper in the shared life that we have in Jesus Christ. And it's an encouragement to us. You know, the very end of Acts 2.47 
says the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I like what John Stott says. He says, the Lord didn't add them to the church without saving them, but he didn't save them without adding them to the church. It was a key part of the pattern of the early church. Now, let me add one point here that I think is important, and that is we need to do all we can at this church to make it edifying for people to be here. It's one thing for us to say, you need to be here, but we need to give people a reason to be here, right? I want people to be excited to come to this church, to anticipate it, that it's a delight to come here, not just a duty. And so as a church, we need to remove as many obstacles as we can for people to be here. We need to preach the Word of God powerfully and accurately and clearly into people's lives. And me and Jay and whoever else preaches here, we can assure you that we've struggled and prayed and spent a great time in the Word of God because we want you to be edified when you come here. And our singing must glorify God from passionate hearts. And our fellowship needs to be enriched by God's presence. So the sheep are called to gather on the Lord's day, but the shepherds need to work hard to make sure that the sheep find green pastures when they get here that will nourish their souls. And we take that seriously here at this church. We work very hard to see that that takes place. And we need to work together. Uh, one thing here this morning while I'm stepping on people's toes, I might just mention here, um, at this service at 945, one of the things that the staff that we've noticed here is people tend to come in here kind of late to this service. Now, there's good things about that in some ways. A lot of you all want to spend time with your friends out there fellowshipping, and that's a good thing. But, you know, Dustin and those who are leading the music up here, they've worked hard every week to, to pick songs that will edify us and encourage us. So, just a pastoral word to all of us here in this service. I mean, I know there's one entrance. It's harder to get in. We're going to build on, and we'll have more entrances, and hopefully we can get in here more quickly. But just to show up on time with a sense of anticipation and excitement about what God has for us here. I hope that we'll all take that word here this morning as a word of admonition for us. There's a second reason that assembly is required in Scripture, though, and that's what I call here the picture. There's a lot of pictures in the New Testament of the gathering of the church and what the church is. We're called a body. Jesus is the head and we're the parts of the body. It pictures intimacy and closeness. Uh, we're a flock. He's the great shepherd, the good shepherd. We're the sheep, uh, the vine and the branches. All of these pictures, all of these metaphors involve close connection to Jesus, but also to other people because we were never intended to live and to grow in isolation from one another. Uh, these images reveal that together we can be a lot more than we can be alone, a body and a flock and vine and branches. In other words, the church is much greater than the sum of its parts. And you'll notice here in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10 in our passage in verse 21, you go back up a couple verses, it says, we have a great high priest over the house of God. So he pictures the church here as a house or as a temple or a building. And of course, if the church is a house or a building, then as believers, we're the individual stones or the individual bricks within that building. And it pictures, again, the, the closeness that we're experienced to want with one another. The problem is more and more people today, I think, see the church as irrelevant or unimportant, or they claim that they're finding all they need online there are a lot of people today, a growing number of people who stay home and watch a sermon on Sunday or Saturday night online, and they kind of check the worship box for the week, if you will. 
Listening to a sermon online is not enough. Now, I realize there are people that can't get to church regularly. They're a physical ailment or whatever, and praise God, we have the technology now where they can watch and, and feel like they're a part of being here. But if a person can be here, listening to sermons online is not enough. Now, again, the technology is great because if you do have to be away, uh, you can participate here with us. Look, times have changed since the first century. They've changed in the last 20 or 30 years a lot, and we have a lot of wonderful, helpful technology uh, that was not available until very recently, and it's a wonderful blessing. But that said, if you're able-bodied and you can be here and you're sitting at, at home in front of a computer on Saturday night or Sunday morning, that's not what's envisioned in the New Testament. Spiritual growth and encouragement take place in the context of a community. I like what David Jeremiah says. He says, cyber community seems nice until something bad happens. And then we want FaceTime rather than Facebook. I like that. Again, certainly in today's world, social media is a great way to stay in contact with other people. But the church is a face-to-face community that can never ultimately be replaced by Facebook or anything else. There's no substitute for face-to-face time with other believers. And the New Testament pictures of the church make that clear to us, especially this one here. We're the house of God. Now, a third reason assembly is required is what I call the proclamation. As our uh, culture becomes more and more secular and less and less people go to church, one of the ways we can give witness to the fact that we love Christ and we believe in Him is by going to church. We'll stand out more as less people go to church. We're just starting to experience that here in the Bible Belt. Uh, back, I've had friends for years back in the Northwest, and they basically say if someone goes to church, you can be pretty sure they're a Christian because you can't either go to church and you're a Christian or you don't go to church. There's not a lot of people that just kind of you know, go for the fun of it. It's not a, a cultural thing there. And I think we're beginning to see that, that wave come into to, uh, Oklahoma even as well here. People who frequently connect with God's people, give evidence that they're committed to Christ and they're committed to His church. And they, they give evidence of that to their neighbors, to their friends, their co-workers, and their relatives. Now, look, we all know that going to church can just be perfunctory and routine. Some people go, which is what they do, is go show up there. We're not to do it in that way. Going to church has no saving merit. It doesn't earn brownie points with God. What I'm talking about here this morning is going to church, not out of duty, but out of delight. And I'll I'll say this this morning. I just went, Cheryl and I went and spent time with my parents yesterday, and uh, they're both in their their 80s now. And I'll I'll say this. The greatest thing my parents did for me in my life was, was going to church regularly. Back then, we were there every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. I mean, you had to be bleeding or throwing up or something bad happening to you to not go. And if your sibling was sick... The parents, you didn't stay home. My mom stayed home with you, and my dad took the rest of us there. You know what I mean? You had to, it had to be you sick. I mean, it was, it, it was serious. But the thing about it is, I never sensed it was just some thing of duty, though. I could tell my parents they wanted to be there. And the greatest example you can give your children is they're going to see if it's just some duty, and, well, we've got to go to church today, you know, or you're going to be saying, look, we, we can't wait to get there and be with God's people. They'll sense that excitement. And they'll have it as well in their lives. It was a great, great benefit my parents gave to me. To, to be with the local church with a sense of excitement and expectation testifies to the world that we love Christ, we love His people. 
And that's what's happening here in Hebrews 10. He says, not forsaking the assembling together as the habit of some is. Those who weren't gathering were giving witness to the fact, in some cases, I think, in the book of Hebrews, that maybe they didn't even love Christ, didn't even know Him. They were going back to what they had known before. I think in many ways, attending church is like a litmus test of our loyalty to Christ. Now, think about this for a moment. I think that the lowest level or the lowest rung of commitment in some ways as a Christian is going to church on Sundays. I mean, that's kind of the lowest level of commitment. If you're not doing that, how likely are you to be doing things that require more sacrifice? Sacrificially giving, serving, praying, reading the Bible, witnessing. I mean, if going to church consistently is the bare minimum or the lowest rung, and we can't carve time out of our schedules to regularly meet for public worship, how likely are we really to be making the deeper sacrifices of the Christian life? I think that's a good question to ask ourselves. It's kind of an argument from the, the lesser to the greater. Doug McIntosh, in his book, Life's Greatest Journey, has a great story in there. I think I've told this before, but there was an elderly man that lost his hearing later in life. And in spite of his hearing loss and his inability to, to hear the singing or to hear anything the preacher said, he attended church faithfully every week. And one of his neighbors one time asked him why he continued to go to church when his ability to hear was so limited. And his reply is classic. He said, I want people to know whose side I'm on. I like that. Going to church in many ways shows people whose side we're on. Going to church can never wash away your sins, and by itself, it can never make you more righteous. But increasingly in our culture, it's going to show our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our relatives, and by the way, even Satan and demons who are watching, it's going to show them whose side we're on. They're watching what we do. So regularly assembling with God's people is a powerful proclamation, I think, to a watching world of where we stand. Now, a fourth reason for assembly is what I call the provoking. Look at verse uh, 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now, I call this the provoking because the King James Bible says, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Most translations now have the word stimulate one another or spur one another. But he's saying here we gather for us to spur others and for others to spur us in the Christian life. And then if you look at verse 25, he says, encouraging one another. Now, a lot of you have heard of the one another's in the New Testament. There's about 59 one another's in the New Testament where it's said to do something for one another. Now, a lot of them are duplicates, so if you boil them down, there are about 33 unique one another's in the New Testament. Two of them are here. Verse 24, stimulate one another to love and good works or spur one another. And verse 25, encourage one another. There's a whole bunch of them. Love one another, build up one another, admonish one another, care for one another, serve one another, be kind to one another, forgive one another, be submissive to one another, comfort one another, pray for one another, on and on we could go. But when you think about this, one anothering, and that's what it's often called, one anothering can only faithfully be fulfilled when we're with one another, right? I mean, you can't be uh, comforting one another if you're not with one another. It can't happen in isolation. I love 1 Thessalonians 5.11. The, the verse there says, build up one another. But actually in the Greek, it says, build up one 
the one. Build up one the one, or literally build one another up one by one. You think about that, we build up God's people one at a time, one by one. And that's even true in larger settings like this. I think about this often as I come to preach, and that is, it's a large group of people, but I don't feel like I'm preaching to some large group. I'm preaching to individuals, to people. And we're built up one by one as we hear the Word of God, and the Spirit of God takes the Scripture and applies it to our lives. People are built up one by one, and we have to be with each other. We need each other. Years ago, uh, the Salvation Army was founded by uh, General William Booth, tremendous evangelist in London back in his day, among the poor and the needy. And he got older in, in life, and his health was failing, and the Salvation Army was having their annual conference, and he couldn't be there. So back in that day, he telegraphed or tele- sent a telegram of a message to be read there for all of the, the, the attenders of this conference. And they were all excited to hear from him. And uh, the man who was leading the conference got up and opened this telegram. And he said, we have a message from, from General William Booth. And it was just one word, others. That was his message to him, others. And that's a message for us today to encourage one another, to build up one another, to love one another. We need one another. And I think we need one another more as the times are becoming more difficult in our culture. Erwin Lutzer said, says this, Never before in American history has it been so important to become an active part of a network of other believers for worship, encouragement, instruction, and prayer. And that's so true. We need to connect with other believers, certainly here in, on Sunday mornings, but I think also in smaller gatherings for, for meaningful fellowship and discipleship. Uh, These the smaller venues, kind of how we break down the large group here, can occur in a lot of forms. Uh, meeting with other believers during the week for lunch, uh, men and women's Bible studies, um, home groups, um, ABFs, we have adult Bible fellowships that meet on Sunday mornings at parallel times with our, our three worship services. I heard about one group that had a group of older men that met together. They called themselves Romeos. It stood for retired old men eating out. And uh, they just met regularly for Christian fellowship. But, but I think a, a smaller group type ministry is, is an essential ingredient for healthy spiritual growth and encouraging one another to love and good works. But we can do it in here a little bit as the service is over and we talk and stand around and share with one another. But I think we need to break this larger group down. So I would encourage you, if you're not in an ABF or a women or a men's Bible study or some smaller group, find a a smaller group that you can also attend uh, where you can really meet these one another commands in in a powerful way. We need to meet regularly with one another to provoke one another, to spur one another to love and good works. Now, there's a fifth reason here that assembly is required, and I call this the prophecy. This adds an urgency to this. Look at the last words, uh, verse 25. Do this all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's talking about the day of Christ's coming, the, the time of the rapture. Where we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, anyone today who reads the newspaper or watches cable news or, or follows world events realizes our world today is on fire. The Middle East is a global hotspot. I mean, Israel's in the crosshairs. Globalism is here. Uh, North Korea is a nuclear menace. You have 
Um, Russia and Iran, two nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39 of a part of a a force that's going to invade Israel in the end times. They're right there on Israel's northern border in Syria. Uh, They've come in there to help prop up the the, uh, regime there of Bashir al-Assad. I mean, even people today with kind of a superficial knowledge of the end times seem to have this uh, sense that the world is getting near closing time. And many signs seem to be lining up that would indicate to us that the coming of Jesus Christ is near. And this should give all of us a renewed sense of urgency about being together. I mean, it says here, as the day draws near. Now, one thing I think is interesting here is in verse 25, the word assembling, not forsaking our assembling, um, the only other time that word is used in the New Testament is in 2 Thessalonians 2.1, where it refers literally to the rapture, when we're going to be gathered together to meet the Lord uh, in the air. So what he's saying here in some ways is we need to be gathering now in light of the gathering that's coming in the future when the Lord is going to come and gather us together and take us uh, to be with Himself. So when you think about this, believers today should be gathering together more frequently, not less frequently, as we see the approach of the Lord's coming. I mean, the, the signs of the times today, I think, are kind of like runway lights that are lighting up, signaling that the coming of Christ is approaching. Now, we all know, I hope by now, that you, no one knows the time of Jesus coming. In fact, when someone tells me they know the time, I know that's not the time when he's going to come, right? People setting dates. We don't know the time. But I do think, according to what Jesus has told us, we can know the general season of his coming. I mean, if we can't, these words are kind of meaningless. He says, do it all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, if you can't see the day drawing near, then this doesn't mean anything, right? So I think we can know the general season of it. And I think we could see today that we're in the general season because of these things that we see happening in our world. And in response to that, we should have exuberant church attendance. Look, church attendance ought to be dramatically on the increase as we see the things happening in our world today. With all we see in the world today, churches ought to be packed. I mean, attendance ought to be soaring. Yet sadly, we see the opposite, kind of a malaise and an indifference has set in in many churches. You all remember what it was like in the wake of 9-11, right? I mean, churches were filled to capacity. I mean, think about, remember Congress, all members of Congress were out there on the steps of the Capitol singing, God bless America. We've come a little ways from that now, haven't we? But, But faced with the fragile nature of life, People sought solace in God, and and, and they evaluated what was important in life. And people just flocked to churches, but the spike in attendance quickly waned as life kind of got back to normal again. The crisis was over. People kind of settled back into the pattern that failed to prioritize public worship in their lives. Look, the coming of Christ should motivate us to gather fervently and to gather frequently. If there's ever a time people ought to be attending church regularly, it's today. Here's what John Phillips says. He says, as the darkness deepens all around us, what abundant evidences there are everywhere today that the Lord's coming is near. Believers especially need each other's fellowship. We're to cling together and resist every pressure, pressure that would draw us away from the assembly of God's people. 
business pressures, family pressures, social pressures, economic pressures, entertainment pressures, and physical pressures all militate against our being present at the gathering of God's people. Let us face our great responsibility. Having been invited to come into God's immediate presence, we must resist anything that would draw us away. There's all kinds of things to draw us away. He says, look, refuse these things. Coming of the Lord um, is approaching. You know, God gives me opportunities, it seems like always when I'm preaching on something, that things I hear to relate to that. And this last week when I was at Dallas Seminary, we had our uh, meeting we have every week with the Bible Exposition Department. We gather together and pray. And one of our men in our, our, in our department is, is from China, heads up a lot of the ministry to, to uh, Chinese students and things that are happening online in China and all of that. His name is Richard Han. And he was asking us about an urgent prayer request. He says in China, which has been, always been repressive towards Christianity, they're ratcheting that up now. Every church, you, you can't have these secret churches. You have to uh, sign up and, 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 and uh, register your church. If you don't, in fact, this last week they enforced it. They, a large church, he said, they bulldozed it to the ground. If you, if you don't register. But here's the other thing. This was passed in a law recently, and he said it's, it has the Chinese students on the campus there very upset and very concerned. No one under 15 years of age can go to church in China. So the parents can go, but if your kids are under 15, you can't take them. Now, it's not been enforced yet, he said. And when they try to enforce it, he's hoping that there will be enough uproar in the country they'll have to overturn it. But you can see what they're trying to do in China, right? If you get all the kids 15 and under and they can't go to church, what's going to happen in about 40 or 50 years or 30 years, whenever it is? You're going to have a whole generation who's never gone. They're going to buy the, 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 the line of, of atheism and all that's predominant there in China. Now think about that. When I heard that this week, first of all, we prayed for them. But I thought of how humbling that is to us for the freedoms that we have. And think about how many people in America profess to be Christians, and they have children under 15, and they could take them any Sunday they want to, and yet they stay home and never bring them to church. I mean, those people in China will give anything to bring their children to church with them, and people over here don't bring their church voluntarily and keep them away from that. It, it, it should be a, a challenge to all of us. Jay sent me something this week, too. I've been thinking about this ever since I got it. Jay Reisner knew I was preaching on this today. He sent me an email with a, a, a link to it. This is, this is powerful. He talks about it. It's about North Korea. We hear about North Korea a lot now because of all the, the nuclear menace over there, and uh, the, the uh, Olympics are in South Korea right now. So we're hearing a lot about North Korea. But there, there are hundreds of thousands of people in Korea incarcerated in uh, these infamous political prisons they have there, but many of them are believers. They're, they're there because of their Christian faith. But uh, North Korean Christians worship in secret. I mean, it's highly secretive there. Most of the congregations are just husband and wife, and they have to wait till the children are old enough so that they can keep a secret to even tell the children that they're, that they're believers and they're gathering together. Other times, Christians will meet in a kind, they call it a, a congregation in motion. You, just, you don't ever meet in one place. You just kind of meet Christians wherever you can. But this is what struck me. I mean, here are these words. A worker for the nonprofit organization, Open Doors, explains how it works. A Christian goes somewhere and sits on a bench in the park. Another Christian comes and sits next to him. Most of the time, it's too dangerous for them to even speak to one another. 
but they know that they're both Christians. And at such a time, just sitting there next to each other is enough. Now think about that. All they can do is just somehow secretly contact another Christian. They go to the park and they sit on a bench. And you have another Christian come and they just sit next to you. And that's enough because you're there with another believer. Maybe if you can just say something brief to one another in passing to encourage one another. Now, I don't know about you, but that's humbling to me. We can come here anytime we want to and gather with God's people. What a blessing God has given to us. Yet so many of God's people in this country are not availing themselves of the opportunity that God has given to us. Look, I want to encourage all of us here as, as the coming of Christ is drawing near. Let's be faithful in, in this spiritual discipline. I know most of you all, most of you here are, are do, do a great job at that, and we appreciate that so much here at Faith Bible Church. But let's be countercultural. As our culture becomes more secular and more and more people are forsaking the assembling together, let's swim upstream against the culture and follow what God has told us to do. And again, in your own life, it'll be a blessing. But if you have children and you have grandchildren, I can promise you in the days ahead, they'll thank you. They'll be so grateful for what you've done for them in their lives. Well, let's pray together. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that just going to church won't save you. There's nothing you can do in and of yourself to save yourself. In fact, uh, just a few verses earlier in Hebrews 10, 12, it says, but Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ has paid it all. He's purchased a full atonement and salvation for you. He's purchased a full pardon for you at the cross. So right where you sit in your heart this morning here, you can accept Jesus Christ and take him to be your Savior. Now, don't think going to church or doing some acts or giving or whatever it is is going to be enough. You have to have Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can take you to heaven. Only Jesus can save you. So come to him this morning if you've never done so. Father, for those of us who know you, as our, as our culture moves further and further away from you, may we move closer and closer. May people see in our lives a proclamation of the gospel, that we love the Lord Jesus, that we love your people. Father, help us to come here every week excited and expectant, to hear the Bible and to sing and to spur one another to love and to good works. Father, help Faith Bible Church to be a, a shining light for you and for us to be lights for you as that day draws near when our Savior will come and call us home. We ask these things in his dear name. Amen.